Lord, we long to see you. We long to sense you, God. There's things that are happening all around us, Lord. And it's so easy to get distracted with the circumstances, with the valleys we're walking through. But help us to put our hope in you because the promise of your love is one day we will be face to face. One day there will be no more pain. One day there will be no more sorrow, God. There will be no more sickness, no more anxiety, no more addiction. There will only be joy and peace in your presence where we worship you forevermore, where we cry out, holy, holy, holy are you, God. Help us to have that eternal perspective even now in these moments, God. Speak to us through your word today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Elijah the Troubler. We're talking about Elijah. And you can't talk about Elijah without talking about idols because that was primary assignment, was to go and deal with Ahab and Jezebel, the prophets of Baal, and deal with the idolatry. And there were two main idols that Ahab and Jezebel had instituted, and uh, along with the worship of Yahweh was the worship of Baal, which is he rides on the thunder. He's the god of rain. And Asherah, Asherah poles were all over the place. It was an idol to the, the goddess Asherah, and uh, she was assigned or had supposedly the ability to uh, help offspring, so uh, healthy babies, healthy offspring in the fields with the animals and things like that. So Ahab was about the economy. And so here he is, the son of Omri, doing evil in the sight of the Lord, as we've read earlier last week in, in 1 Kings chapter 16. And uh, so Ahab wants a good economy. He wants it to rain. If it doesn't rain, then the people are not going to have the food they need. The animals are not going to have the grass to eat. And so everything is going to be in, in a difficult situation, and people will rebel on him. And so instead of saying, let's just trust God for the rain, let's just trust God for the resources we need for the economy, and let's just place the economy in God's hands, he says, we've got Yahweh doing his thing, but let's add to it Baal, and let's add to it Asherah. And, and God is not okay with that. God is never okay with that. It doesn't matter. We can say, well, you know, we're 75% worshiper of God. He's not okay with that. He's not even okay with 90%. And you might think, man, if we're just 90% worshiping God and only 10% idols, then surely God will be okay with that. God is not. Let's read from, let's begin our lesson today in Exodus chapter 20. Moses comes down from the mountain, and he has with him the Ten Commandments. Listen to these commandments. He says in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so the Lord God begins with, look what I have done for you. Look how I have released you from slavery. And then in verse 3, he says, beginning, number one, you shall have no other gods before me. None. Zero. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything 
that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. So anything below the sea, above the sea, anywhere, you are not to have any other gods before me. You are not to make for yourself an idol, a carved image. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. And that's what we do with idols. You remember, the definition of an idol is someone or something that takes the place or the uh, part of the place of God in our lives. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. We did a survey among our congregation, a few folks in our congregation, about what are the top three idols in our community that we struggle with here today. And number one was money. Number two was appearance. People struggle with appearance. you got to look good to feel good about yourself in our community. And appearance is an idol. And number three was children. And so how well our children do impacts how well the parents are doing, and that helps them with their self-image. That's why there's so much pressure put on children in our community to be in the top 10%, to be on the winning teams, to be first chair in the band, to make the best grades you can get, to, to achieve, to be with the right kids at the right school, in the right place, in the right neighborhood, so parents feel good about themselves because children are an idol in our community. You see it in this way too. Children have the most power in our community. You think about that. Children run their parents. The parents run the school. That happens, doesn't it? Think about that for a moment. Children run their parents. The parents run their school. The school have to do things based on what their parents want, whether or not it's good or bad for education. That's what's going on. So I agree, children are an idol. I agree, appearance is an idol. It's an idol. Appearance, what you wear, what you drive, where you live, how the house looks, how it's kept. The image that's, that's projected is an idol in our community. And of course, money, money. You know, we don't really need to involve them because, you know, they're not really Alito people. You heard that? You haven't heard that? You're not listening. You know, we were going to invite so-and-so to the birthday party, but, you know, so-and-so, their parents aren't really, uh, how do I say, one of us. You may or may not be guilty of that. But you may or be or may not be guilty of some of that. Idolatry. We got to be careful with idolatry. God says we need to be careful with idolatry. We are not to bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Many people read that and go, God jealous? That's something wrong. No, 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 no. That jealousy is not wrong. What is God jealous for? He is jealous for an unhindered undivided relationship with his creation. He is jealous for our affection. He is jealous for our worship. He is jealous for our devotion. We are to have no other gods before him. 
He wants that. He craves that with this. It's what's best for us. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commitment, commandments. So, he says to us very clearly, the reason why he's jealous for us is very clear. He loves us. He loves us. We are absolutely at our best when we are not following idols. We do not worship idols. We do not play something before God. When we play something for God, that the sin, the consequences of those actions, they're literally passed down to the second, third, and fourth generation. If you look at your kids, you hold your kids in your arms. If you want your kids to love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind, you need to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. If you want your kids to be an idol worshiper, then you be an idol worshiper. They learn from you. That's what the scripture here says. He says the consequences are passed down from the example and the leadership of their parents. So it's very, very serious. We need to take careful that we need to take careful consideration to what God has to say about idolatry. And don't allow any idolatry to creep in. No idols. God is jealous for our complete, wholehearted devotion. There's consequences of idolatry. Now, in these verses that we've read here from Exodus 20, has God changed? Are these still in effect? That's the question you need to ask ourselves. Does our behavior demonstrate that we believe that God is no longer holding us responsible for idolatry? Has God got to the point where he says, now, I'm jealous for their devotion, and I will by no means clear the guilty, but you know, here in this modern world, in this modern times, when enlightenment has come, and we have become so educated that I'm just going to kind of take it easy on idolatry. After all, I know in the end they're going to follow me, you know, and I'll just let them do whatever they want to do. That's, that's really foolish, isn't it? So it's really important that we pay close attention to idolatry. Now let's get to 1 Kings chapter 17. The next verses in the life of Elijah, and this is the verses where he comes on the scene. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now, this is all we know about him. This is all we know about Elijah before this time. It says, now Elijah the Tishbite. Here's old Elijah the Tishbite. Where's that Tishbite from? He's from Tishbe. Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead. That's Elijah. Interesting, the word Elijah, the name Elijah means Yahweh is my God. Everywhere he went, when someone would say, in the Hebrew, of course, Elijah, they would recognize Yahweh is his God. That's Elijah. What do you know about Elijah? Well, we know that Yahweh is his God. How do you know that? His name says that. The way he lives up to his name says that. Elijah, that boy there, that mountain man, he was from the mountains of the desert. If you look on the map, see the Jordan River? Just east of the Jordan River are the mountains that he is from, the same mountains where Moses was buried. That's where he's from. Something else. No one has ever found Tishbe. 
No archaeologists have a clue where Tishbe is. Y'all know where Tankersley is? Got two people know where Tankersley is. Y'all don't know where Tankersley is, do you? Tank, you know where London, Texas is? Got a few that know where London, Texas is. Very good. I see your hand back there. Right? Would the prophet come from Tankersley? How about Eola? I know one. Oh, there's somebody out there that knows where Eola is. Would the prophet come from Eola, for God's sakes? No. How could that be? But here you got Elijah from Tishbe. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe, the mountain man. Elijah is from nowhere. That's important to realize. God has a pattern of calling country prophets, doesn't he? John the Baptist came out of the desert. No one special from nowhere special. Nowhere significant. God just reaches out there and calls him. Be careful of those country preachers, I would say. Tishbe in Gilead, a mountain man. And as we'll see today, used to living in the mountains, used to living in desert, used to living in a dry, arid place. He's just an ordinary, everyday guy. And James goes on to tell you, look over in James chapter 5. Just briefly, we'll see in verse 17. Well, in verse 16, James says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous dude, the praying of a devout person, not the praying of a rich person, not the praying of an educated person, not the prayers of a theologically degreed person, not the prayers of a priest, not the prayers of the Vatican, not the prayers of the Southern Baptist Convention president, not the prayers of the head of the Presbyterian Church, not those prayers. That's not what's commended here. But the prayers of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Verse 17, this is what we know about Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. <laughs> How many of y'all got mad at your wife today because she was late? Raise your hand. Go ahead. Let's get on with it. We got one right there. Right there. Mark McClure, right there. We got it going on. Yeah, boy. So from my way of looking at this, ask Chuck to pray for you today and ask Mark to pray for you today because they're honest. They're righteous men, ordinary. Faults, oh, do they have faults, Right? Not perfect one bit. So Elijah, a man like ours, a man with a nature like ours, not perfect, didn't have it all together, flawed. That ought to encourage us today. So you mean to tell me that God called someone from nowhere, a no one from nowhere, an ordinary everyday guy to face the king a guy that's just like the rest of us? Yep. That's what we have with Elijah. Yahweh is my God. And then you have the miracle of the meeting. Oh, my goodness. It doesn't say how he got this invitation to meet with Ahab. We're going to see him meet with Ahab after a while, but then he's known because of what he's telling Ahab today. But how in the world did he get this meeting with Ahab? Think about how things are today. 
I, I want to have a meeting with, with President Biden. Think I can get one? Who wants to meet with me? Lee Brewer. Where does he live? Alito, Texas. No. 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 I want to meet with King Charles. Surely I can get to meet with King Charles. You know, I can, I can still get my British citizenship. My mother's. She's English. You can have dual citizenships with England. I could, I even have some undocumented claim to royalty. I, we really believe that we are the offspring of the Duke of Bedford in Woburn Abbey. He got my great-great-grandmother pregnant. Yeah, I'm telling you. It was a scandal. We don't know who my grandfather's mother, father was. Had to be somebody important that can cover that up. On his birth certificate, there's no listing of that. Yes, I talk about that. Yes, I'm ticked about that. I want to know who my great-grandfather was. You know? He owes me. There's got to be something in there for us. I'll take Woburn Abbey. I'll just take the whole house. Be fine with me. So I go to see King Charles. Charles, just give me 10 minutes. Here's what I say. Now, Charles, you're over the Church of England. Well, that's, I most certainly am. Well, good. Let's talk about that for a moment. I was christened in the Church of England when I was a baby. And you folks say that was my salvation. It wasn't. Charles, I want you to instruct all your ministers, all your preachers in the Church of England. I want you to instruct them that from now on, they teach salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And I want you to get them in the streets and go through all these villages. I want my kinfolks to hear the gospel. I want them to hear that Jesus loves them and died for them on the cross, that they're not saved because they were Christian in the Church of England, and they weren't saved because they're educated, because they're a proper Brit. I want you to go teach them that. Now, how in the world would I get that meeting with him? I want to have that meeting with him. Some of y'all who are connected... Y'all fix that up, and I'll just head right on over there. How did he get this meeting? I mean, that's crazy talk for me to say, I'm going to go meet with King Charles. How in the world did Elijah meet with King Charles? Must be a miracle in that meeting, hadn't there? Must be a miracle. And guess what he does? He says to King Ahab, this is very important about idolatry, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Oh my, he's attacking his idolatry. He's attacking Baal. That's what Elijah does. That's the word the Lord gives him. It's just one statement. As the Lord my God lives, in whom I stand, before whom I stand means for whom I'm here for, who I represent. I'm ambassador of him. I am coming. I am his voice today. 
There shall be neither dew nor rain. I love that phrase. Not only is it not going to rain, but it ain't going to have any dew. It's going to be dry as dry can be. You're not going to have any rain whatsoever. Here you are, King Ahab. Your number one thing is a great economy to be able to really show off how great a leader you are, and you've got all this Baal worship going on. You have broken the commandment of the Lord. You have said that what God has said doesn't matter. You are taking lightly God's words to us. And since you've done it, no rain. He attacked the, he attacked the idol. That's what he did. He attacked the idol. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kerith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kareth, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. There's a connection between idolatry and trust. Interesting challenges. Ahab with his Baal worship, no rain. The number one thing about Baal is the provider of rain. No rain. Not just no rain, but no rain until God says so. There's not going to be any rain. We know from the book of James, it didn't rain for three and a half years. Imagine life here without rain for three and a half years. Imagine that. Wow. Whatever we think is the big problem now would no longer be the big problem, would it? I mean, no groceries, no meat after three and a half years. I mean, everything's going to go down. There, there's not going to be any commerce taking place. It's going to be a real time. And you know what everyone's going to be fighting over? Water. We're going to be going up north with tank trucks and trying to bring some water down. We're going to try to figure out how to turn salt water into drinking water, aren't we? We're going to be doing all kinds of things. We're going to try to drill wells deeper, but we're not going to be able to find any water anywhere. That's going to be a problem. That's going to put us in a difficult situation. Can you imagine no rain, the kind of situation it put Ahab in? And so there is a connection between idolatry and trust. Trusting in the provider. Who is going to be the provider? Now, this particular provision is a hideout spot. He sent Elijah to the mattresses like the mafia do when there's a war going on. Elijah is hiding out. The Lord sent him away. The Lord sent him to a cave. The Lord sent him to the, 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 the creek. He sent him to nowhere where he could live out there in the middle of nowhere and be protected because his work's not done yet. And look how he takes care of him. He sends ravens to give him a hamburger in the morning and a hamburger at night. That's what he gave him. 
The ravens would come in and bring bread and meat. What is bread and meat? You know he put it together for a hamburger. And I'm sure he said, can you bring some mustard tomorrow? It'll dry. That meat's a little dry. That raven's beak. And so we don't know how long this happened, but every single day, raven would bring a hamburger in the morning and bring a hamburger at night. The Elijah diet. You've heard of the Daniel diet. You've heard of all those things. You need to have the Elijah diet. I think you might do good. Hamburger in the morning at 10, hamburger at night at 8. How about that? There you go. And if you don't eat French fries, you might do well with that. So that's what he's got going on. And guess what? Water from a desert creek. Wasn't a mountain stream like we would think about from snow top mountains. There had to be a spring somewhere generating water. He had all the water he needed. That's pretty healthy. Water, hamburger. Water, hamburger. Thank you, Ravens. Come at nine in the morning, a little hungry by 10. Come on back. And that's how God took care of him. And then in verse 7, the brook died. It dried up. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. We'll see that next week. But what do you do? What do you do when the brook dries up? How long could you last? It doesn't say the ravens quit coming. It says the brook dried up. How long can you go with that water? My grandfather would say you can, you can, you can go a week without water, but you can only go three days eating rice. Pretty funny, wasn't it? Think about that. You'll laugh this afternoon. He didn't like rice. What do you do when the brook dries up, when God's provisions dries up? So your idol is money. Your idol's money. How do you respond when it dries up? Your idol is appearance. What are you going to do when your appearance dries up? Your idol are children. What are you going to do when the children disappoint you? What are you going to do when the expectations you put on your kids, which are unrealistic, are so full of pressure that your kids fail, quit, give up, walk away from your values and ideals? What are you going to do? Is that the end of life? Is that the end of how you know things? Are you going to retreat? Are you going to question God? Are you going to blame God because you've had an idol and you have placed your children, you have placed your appearance, you've even placed money in an unrealistic place in your life because idols cannot provide. Idols can't provide. Only God can provide. Only God is alive. Idols are not alive. That's why Elijah comes to Ahab and says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years except by my word. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives. Here you are, Ahab. You're here worshiping idols who are 
dead, no life, unable to provide. Idolatry. What do you anguish over? What can you not do without? What have you thought from time to time, if, if, if this runs dry, if this water runs dry, if, if this part of my life, if it ceases to be, I won't be able to survive. I won't be able to cope. I won't be able to move forward. I will just I, I sooner die. What is that thing in your life that you really believe you can't live without? You anguish over it. You worry over it. What occupies your mind? What can you not get away from? What just plagues you? What just keeps on showing up in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening? The thoughts, the worries, the stress, the, the une uneasiness just wears you out. And, and it's just, it just overwhelming to you. What occupies your mind? Where is your heart? What is your heart tied to? What is it stuck on? What is it connected to? What are you trusting in for life's provisions? Is it an idol? Now, one of the ways, you, if you can't quite figure that out and you don't really know what the idol is, and if, if you're hearing the Holy Spirit speak to you, but man, it's just so, it, it's just like static to you. You're not really able to understand. Jesus said you can't worship both God and money. You can't wor worship both Jesus and appearance. You can't wor worship both Jesus and children, both Jesus and family, both Jesus and prestige, both Jesus and power. Are, are you depending upon something for who you are? One way you can look at this is, is, is what do you worry about? Is that revealing the idol? What controls you reveals the idol? Deep at night, what are you truly trusting? When you lay your head on the pillow and it's just a quiet time alone and you're sitting there, what are you really trusting in? If you think back to some of the issues you've had, some of the struggles you've had, some of the conflicts you've had, some of the times of just unrest in your spirit that you've had, could it be the Holy Spirit coming to you and revealing to you a problem with idolatry? And just like God sent Elijah to Ahab, the Holy Spirit has come to convict you of idolatry. And the very thing that that Holy Spirit points out, deals with, brings up, shows us, allows us to experience the hardships are of, you, you point down that road, you may find the idolatry that's in your life. If your money runs out, what are you going to do? Who are you going to trust? What's it going to do to your life? It might, might run out. It might dry up. If your appearance dries up, what are you going to do? Who are you going to turn to? Shouldn't you turn to that person now? If your children fail, disappoint, make mistakes, 
Does when your children make mistakes, does that just take away your heart? Does it bruise you for the long term? Does it set you down to a path where you just can't get out of the rut? Pretty good indication there might be the problem of children being your idol if that's the case. If you get your self-importance, self-image from your kids, idolatry, unhealthy relationship. First John 5, 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's how he ends 1 John. 1 John 5, 21. Little children. I've talked to you about love. I like to add to that. I've talked to you about love. I've talked to you about walking with Christ. I've talked to you about living for Jesus. I've talked to you about the wonderful gift of love and how important it is. I've talked to you about not being like the world. I've talked to you about so many wonderful things. And then at the very end, and, and it, it is almost like it fits, but it doesn't fit. It's almost like an abrupt statement. He just says, little children, my people, beloved, keep yourself from idols. May the Lord keep us from idols. May he reveal to us, and may we confess and repent. Lord, we just pray that your will be done in our lives today. Help us to learn from idolatry. Help us to learn from the Scripture today. Help us to learn from Elijah. Help us to learn from Ahab and Jezebel and their reactions. Help us to learn from the emptiness of Baal worship and Asherah worship. Father, help us to be wise. Help us to be shrewd. Help us to be aware to the idols around us, to the foolishness of idols, to the consequence of idolatry. And Lord, help us to be free of idols. Lord, when we become aware of idols, we're thankful for your word that tells us if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just and will forgive us of all our sins, and you'll cleanse us from all, all iniquity. We know, Lord, that means idolatry. We know, Lord, that if we will confess our sin, repent of our sin, you are faithful and just. You will forgive us of that. And I pray, Lord, that we will heed your spirit warning, heed the awareness that your spirit is presenting to us at this very moment, and, Lord, that we will confess and repent of idolatry. Help us to stay clear of idols. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forth.